The world around us is changing faster than ever before. before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be, bold, be brave, be and be brave. fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Data Gurus. I am Seema Vasu, your host. Excited to be here today. I have Josh Chasen, who is the Chief Measurability Officer of VideoAm. Welcome, Josh. Thanks, Seema. Good to be here. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. It's good to see you again. And listen, before we dive into what you do at VideoAm, let's just talk a little bit about your history and your career as to your journey in terms of how you got here. So... I guess the first thing I'll say is that I consider myself to be an audience measurement professional and like in the world of market research, it's sort of like a media research is a part of that. And then audience measurement is a part of that. So that's probably what, what I would say I've specialized in. I got my first job when I was still going to NYU and I went to the NYU employment center and I found a job listing for a job as a basic a number cruncher at Arbitron for four fifty an hour, four and a half bucks an hour. And then when I, and I was still in college, when I went in and, and I interviewed, it turned out that it was five fifty an hour and I couldn't believe my good fortune. You were so excited. I was like in the summer, that was 200 bucks a week. What am I going to do with 200 bucks a week? Yeah. Yeah. So that was quite my good fortune. And uh, I kind of moved up. I worked in statistical services for, well, first of all, eventually I got a full-time job and an hourly job. And I was a in the statistical services department at Arbitron. And I had two marketing degrees. I was studying marketing and getting my MBA while I was working there. And that enabled me to get a job as was manager of market development at Arbitron. So I switched over to the marketing group, having a solid measurement background, but understanding marketing. And so that was probably an important segue in my career. And I've always kind of looked at my career as sort of living at the place where research and marketing overlap. Okay. And what, after Arbitron, where did you go after that? Well, I was at Arbitron for a really long time. I had several Arbitron careers. So I had spent seven. Yeah. So like the first seven years I was in statistical services, learning, learning sample design from some of the best people in the business, people that work there and then outside consultants, people like Marty Frankel, you know, so, so really I got a solid grounding. And then for another seven years, I worked in the advertiser agency group in marketing. So positioning our services to buy side users. And then for the last three years I was there, I was the company VP marketing for new ventures. So I worked on new initiatives and that was an opportune time to be in that space because that was when the internet was emerging. So then I spent a few years doing different entrepreneurial things. I was at Simmons for a while. I was president of Simmons for a brief spell. And then in the early 2000s, I had my own consulting practice for about seven years. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I looked at, I used to, my mantra used to be hot food and mortgage, but I actually, you know, turned that into making a pretty good living. And one of my consulting clients was Comscore. 
And that turned into my next major gig, which was chief research officer at Comscore for about 13 years, 12, 13 years. And then I, when I left Comscore, I came to Video App. I love how you join companies and, and you stay and you continue to evolve and build your role and get different sets of experiences. It's kind of unheard of these days. Yeah, I've been fortunate. In, I, was, I was a long time at Arbitron, a long time at Comscore, and I was fortunate, I would say, in that each of those two situations, there were many careers within, you know, so it, it's not like I did the same thing for the whole stretch. The work changed and evolved, and that kept it fresh and kept it interesting. Yeah, that makes total sense. Let's talk a little bit about what VideoAmp does as a company. Yeah, sure thing. So there is this intricate array of businesses and services that we refer to as the ad tech ecosystem. And VideoAmp lives in the ad tech ecosystem. It was founded, I believe, in 2014 and has primarily been known as a DSP, demand side platform that helps the buy side, helps agencies plan and buy and measure the performance of their buys and execute their buys and optimize. But what we are now doing is, and I don't like to say pivot because pivot implies a turn. It's probably more of a, an expansion, but we're expanding into the measurement space, right? So really at core of everything that's happening in advertising is measurement because you, know, you do a thing you get feedback on the performance of that thing, and then you make your next thing smarter. So that describes measuring advertising performance. It describes how artificial intelligence works. It just describes everything in the digital realm, right? Like actions beget breadcrumbs or trails or records of performance, and then those records or measurements should inform the next actions, right? So we're very much moving into the measurement space. And I will tell you that when I was looking for my next opportunity. I gave a lot of thought to what I wanted to do next. And I realized that I wanted to build the next generation of cross-platform measurement, you know, or be on a team that was going to do that. And that was one of the things that led me to VideoAmp. And when we had, when I interviewed there and had conversations with people from the CEO on down, I really liked what I was hearing about their vision for building the next generation of cross-platform. And I wanted to come on and help. So explain what cross-platform measurement is. Yeah. So here's the thing. I'm going to give you a longer answer than you bargained for. Because I start with this initiative that's been undertaken over the last maybe three years by the World Federation of Advertisers, right? And the World Federation of Advertisers has been making an effort to define and then see implemented an advertiser driven, because let's face it, advertisers pay, you know, they pay everybody's salary, right? The advertiser driven perspective on what cross-platform measurement should mean. So what do advertisers want? Sometimes I feel like Carrie Bradshaw on Sex in the City. I ask myself, what do advertisers really want? <laughs> but we know what they want. This is what they want. They want to understand for every impression that is delivered, They want to understand the device that that impression was delivered to and who is the person behind that. Yeah. Yeah, the person behind that device and the household that device rolls up into and whatever targeting attributes can be associated with device, person, and household, you know, like demographics, but also is it this this 
of my customer list? You know, are they an auto intender? You know, are they a soccer mom? You know, whatever their advanced target is, however they choose to define their audience. And then what other impressions were delivered into this household, into this device, into this person? And how did this particular impression work? So that's the world that advertisers want to live in. We're literally on an impression by impression basis. Where did that impression get delivered and how did it contribute to the performance of the campaign? That's the dream, right? That's the vision. That's the dream, yes. And technology, you know, and so I think if you think about what's happening in advertising more than anything else, we're shifting from a mass broadcast game to this granular one-to-one game where we know at a very precise level where impressions are going and, and how they're working, or at least that's the goal, right? And so I knew that this is, I'm going to loop back to VideoAmp. I knew this is what advertisers wanted because in my previous job, I had some exposure to the WFA, to the World Federation of Advertisers Initiative. And what really impressed me about VideoAmp was the vision that they were explaining to me was exactly this vision and they hadn't had any exposure to the WFA work. So, you know, it was nice to see that this was a company that was building what was wanted. In that vision, if you think about it as kind of a percentage, where are we in realizing that vision? 100% being we're fully realized. Yeah, that's a tough question. (laughs) What happens is it's funny because I think that on the one hand, this is where advertisers want to live. And on the other hand, I think ad agencies will tell you that the dirty little secret is they're still spending an awful lot of money against women 25 to 54. Right. But we all know that this is the direction things are going. In the advertising space, you know, there are platforms like OpenAP that are helping both buyers and sellers to become more precise in how they target and how they're able to put an inventory to work, let's say. You know, I think it was last year or the year before where a large CPG brand claimed and stated that, you know, they still think 50% of all advertising is wasted. Their advertising dollars are wasted. Similar to what you just mentioned, like the dirty little secret ads are still being run to specific demographic over and over again. Have we made improvements through this evolution of the vision of being able to deliver more personalized, more, you know, the goal of one-to-one targeting? Has that improved? Well, you know, if that advertiser is right, then we have made no progress since John Wanamaker in the 1890s, right? Who's the guy who famously said, I know half my advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. So at minimum, I think now we know which half. At minimum, now we know which half is wasted. One of the, I will tell you that we at VideoAmp, one of the things that we are helping our buy side clients understand is that a lot of campaigns tend to deliver a lot of over-frequency. In other words... This is one of the challenges we face in media advertising, and that is that heavy viewers tend to consume a disproportionate share of impressions. So the hard spot is how do you distribute your impressions to people that don't have their eyes on the screen? It's almost a paradox, right? So there are ways to try to get better at this. I think one of the ways is going to be, you know, it's kind of like, redefining TV to be both linear and digital. Digital, you know, largely means streaming. We're going to have to figure out ways to make, well, so I think we're going to have to make streaming work as part of the ad mix, but a lot of the streaming services are ad free. And also, you know, I think viewers 
have a different level of tolerance for ad loads in stream content versus, you know, traditional linear content. But we're going to have to figure out how to get those impressions in front of people in different places. Yeah. So basically, if I understand what you're saying is the people whose eyes are on devices frequently might tend to get overserved in terms of ads sometimes depending on the demographic and if there are people who are you know not on devices as much the challenge or the opportunity is to figure out how to predict when they're going to be on devices to be able to deliver that ad yeah or well let's start with tv so in traditional media yeah and i worked in tv and i worked in radio and i looked at out of home in my career and so what happens is in traditional media the highest quintile, like the 20% heaviest users might consume as much as 60% of the quarter hours. Okay. So there will therefore probably consume 60% of the impressions. So now there are different ways to address that, right? So because the heavy viewer of channel A might be the light viewer of channel B, you know, so there are ways to address this largely through diversification of platforms, you know, through smart flighting. But there, you know, and actually one of the things that cross-platform and digital enables is different screen, you know, ways to reach consumers on different screens. So that, and one of the examples I always give is like, I have an almost 17-year-old daughter and she doesn't watch a television. She watches lots of TV, but she doesn't watch a television. So her idea of TV is she has a tablet or a laptop and she streams. So she's never going to see a linear ad, maybe ever again, but she still needs to be advertised too. And there are ways to reach her, right? You can reach her in streaming. You can reach her on Snapchat. You can reach her on TikTok. So, you know, it really becomes, and that's where we have to figure out how to allow advertisers to look at all these different channels holistically together, right? Yeah. Which then speaks to these wall pardons, right? In terms of advertisers spending tons of money on Facebook or Google and not being able to piece together a total picture of their ad spend and understanding the effectiveness of those impressions. Do you see that changing over time? Well, so right now, Facebook and Google account for, depending on what the most recent numbers are, between 65 and 70% of all digital ad spend in the U.S. I had no idea. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah, that's like a, a serious duopoly. And so each of them can tell you everything there is to know about how advertising is working in there platform. But what advertisers are telling us is that they want to understand their advertising campaigns across platform and holistically, right? So it's not enough to know everything about what's happening inside Facebook or inside Google, because I want to do things like shift advertising amongst Facebook and Google and NBC and ABC and uh, CBS, Viacom and the Warner and et cetera, you know. So what I'm going to say is to the credit of Facebook and Google, which are the two companies people think about when they think about wall gardens. Although there's also Amazon and there's Twitter, but to the immense credit of Facebook and Google, they recognize that advertisers need to understand their campaigns holistically. They also have covenants with their users, right? So Facebook and Google must respect the privacy of their users and the data that is generated on those platforms isn't necessarily Facebook's and Google's to share. However, they recognize that uh, the whole ecosystem rides with a rising tide 
And they've both been extremely active in this WFA initiative to help design systems to enable for looking at advertising across platforms. So in Facebook, in Google, across various other media, including TV. So I give them a lot of credit for that. So they're at the table. They're trying to solve for it. Well, that's encouraging. I so, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Do you worry about consumer privacy in this whole model of one-to-one advertising or the vision of that? So, I mean, I'm going to give you a kind of a glib answer to that, which is I've worked at companies with lawyers and chief privacy officers. And, you know, just like I don't worry about accounting, you know, I don't worry about privacy only because I know that I have colleagues whose job it is to worry about these things. But I don't want that to sound too glib. Yeah. Privacy is of paramount importance to video app. It's of paramount importance to all of us in the ecosystem. But conversely, you know, there's a level of tracking that we've all, you know, I don't want to say we've become accustomed to it because I think people are, are frankly blind to it. I think a lot of consumers don't realize it. But some of the changes that have been going on, you know, where Google's going to get rid of cookies in Chrome and Apple has made some changes in 14.5, iOS 14.5, where now applications have to ask if they can track you. And there's a setting that's kind of buried that defaults to off that says, may advertisers ask to track you? So in order for advertisers to ask, you have to know that setting is there. And it's like settings, privacy, tracking, and then it's a toggle and it toggles to off. And you have to even know it's there to go turn it on before advertisers, but before apps actually can ask to track you. So the default is off. The default is off. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think a lot of consumers, myself included at times, click, click, click. I want this so quickly. And if the default's on, it doesn't even register until after I see something that I don't like. Yeah. So this is going to have an impact on availability of data about consumers because A, you have to allow app by app you to be tracked. B, you can only allow it if you know to turn the thing on so that they can ask you. So one of the things that, one of the implications this is gonna have is it's gonna be a lot less ubiquitous tracking. There is probably gonna be some sample of people that are tracked and companies in the measurement space are gonna have to figure out how to build systems that can project to the census level based on this sample. And it's also going to make panels, I think, a little bit more important because in a, you can have a, a window into exactly what's happening in terms of using digital data. Yeah, I completely agree. I think double opt-in panels will play a critical role in the consent of consumers to say, I'm participating, I'm fully knowledgeable in the participation. Whereas, you know, every part of the ecosystem goes up and down, but it was part of a discussion where investors were actually saying that getting people to agree and have them consent to sharing data is one of the most critical, fundamental things that drives the industry. At this point, you know, over the last couple of years with GDPR and other privacy topics. So I couldn't agree with you more on that one. Yeah. And there's been some research that shows that younger people don't have the same privacy concerns that older people do and are accustomed to paying for free services with data, right? So like, yeah, I want this app to be free or I want Snapchat to be free, let's say, in exchange for 
allowing some tracking so that I can get relevant advertising. Yeah, and I actually wonder, you know, right now where there's a generational shift in terms of concern around privacy, because there's a group of people who remember when privacy, you know, it, it was just assumed there wasn't a question about it. But to your part, the younger generation, they've accepted it. Like everything's out there. They publish it themselves. That's right. right? <laughs> about their life and what's going on. So it'll be interesting to see how that shifts as they continue to have more buying power and how advertisers target those people. So conceptually, how is video different in this space compared to other players? Outside of the fact they have you, Josh. Well, that's a big difference right for that. Yeah. <laughs> so how are we different? We have done a really nice job of meeting the needs of the buy side, which is actually a very important place to start. We have amassed, you know, basically it reminds me of Comscore, 10, 15 years ago, right? We have a whole lot of smart people who are uh, dedicated to a vision, who are building solutions. We're very highly customer focused. We've amassed the assets that we need to have amassed. You know, we have TV data. We have systems for ingesting digital data. We've got a lot of good things going on. We've got a lot of momentum. And I think it really just comes down to having a clarity of vision about what we're trying to build ability to execute against that vision. And, you know, I'll also say solid leadership. You know, I think, you know, our CEO, I don't want to say too much about him because it's just going to sound like I'm kissing up. But like, you know, he founded this company when he was like 23 or something. And uh, the vision of the company has remained consistent throughout and we've been executing against it and adding pieces. We've got happy, satisfied customers that want to buy more from us. We have new prospects that want to work with us because they're hearing good things. I just think we've got all the pieces. We have all the right pieces in place at the right time. On that note, Josh, thank you so much for joining me. I feel like we could talk about this for so much longer. I definitely could. (laughs) And we'll talk about capitalism next time. No, I'm just joking. I appreciate you joining me and come back soon and we can chat more. Anytime, Seema. My pleasure. It's good to see you. Thank you. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling programming and hosting services or consultation we are agile and quick to meet your needs visit paradigmsample.com today thank you for tuning in to data gurus podcast this episode has ended but your exploration doesn't have to head over to www.datagurusspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.